Um, if uh, you've been with us for the last few weeks, and even if you haven't, uh, we've been talking about the life of Moses. Uh, Moses is someone whose uh, story is probably familiar to us in, in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether it's through just watching the Ten Commandments on TV every year around Easter time like I do, or, um, or whether you've read through his story uh, often throughout Scripture. We've been looking at, at his life and the way in which we can relate to him through the season of the unknown uh, that he went through, which is so similar in, in many ways um, to this time of unknown and this season of unknown that we feel uh, that, that we're in right now, whether it's uh, the idea of coming out of the pandemic and into whatever this next season of life is, um, to regardless of, of where maybe you are in, in life, there's this definite uneasy of what's next and where are we going from here and what does this look like? And Moses was a guy who, as we know, has been, uh, he's been called, um, and he knows that God wants something greater for him, yet he's very reluctant, he's very uh, self-conscious, um, he's very, um, he, he has a lot of self-worth uh, issues right at the beginning, uh, unsure of himself at almost every turn, and runs into problems that are bigger than he could handle at just about every turn. Um, and so there, as, as we can kind of see there, there's a lot of things that we can relate to uh, when it comes to his, his life and with us. And there's a lot of things that we can learn about God. There's a lot of things that we can learn about ourselves and our relationship with God through the successes and failures of Moses, but most importantly, through his faith. So we're going to actually just get right into it today, and we're going to be skipping ahead. If you have been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we ended last week in Exodus chapter 4, where we talked about Moses the doubter, and we're actually going to skip ahead to Exodus chapter 14. So if you do have your Bibles or your Bible app, and you want to flip there or scroll there and follow along with me, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 14, but you can certainly find the event in the Bible app. I'll look for Connect Church in Akron, Ohio. And we're going to be in Exodus 14, but we are skipping um, some things, some things that you might consider significant, some things that we're missing. Uh, for example, the entire confrontation that Moses has um, with, uh, with Pharaoh, where um, he's, he's pleading uh, with Pharaoh to let my people go, right? We know that one. Um, we're missing, uh, we're, we're kind of going past the 10 plagues as well. Um, we're going past the first Passover that's there um, and, uh, and the Israelites finally leaving. And uh, listen, I know that there's some interesting things there, but uh, you know, Moses' life story is really told through four books of the Bible in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And uh, it's really gonna be impossible to touch on every single uh, detail and aspect there. And so we've looked at Moses the doubter and today we're going to look at Moses, the leader, because he has grown from chapter 4 to uh, chapter 14 here. And so we're going to be talking about him as a leader. And so what is leadership? I want to say the word leadership to you. And, and when I talk about a leader, what, what do you think of when, when you think of leadership? When I think of leadership, if I have to define it, I really would define it. I mean, there's various ways to define it, but if I had to really bring it down, it would be in the word influence. The word influence, I think, is a great definition uh, for the word leadership. And Moses had to step up again and again as a leader. And what it took was his influence over the people that God had put around him and put him in charge of. 
his influence over them was huge. And the reason he was so inspiring and so influential was because of his rock-solid faith in the Lord. And his focus was on the glory of God. Hear that part right now because we're going to come back around to that. His focus was on the glory of God. That was one of the, the major aspects of his leadership was focusing on the glory of God. When God said to do something to Moses, he did it. He did it regardless of what anyone else thought or said. And his determination, his persistence, it gave him a tremendous amount of influence with the people that he was put in charge of and the people that he was around. And in many ways, it goes back to him being sold out for the glory of God. And so how does this apply to us as we go into this season maybe that we're in or, or when we feel like we're in the unknown? Well, that's what we're going to look at. Well, today is going to be uh, arguably the most famous. It's probably, you know, right up there on your list of the um, miracles of the Old Testament. And this would be the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, Certainly a, a famous one made famous in, in films and all of that. But um, God has succeeded in convincing Pharaoh to release the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites, from slavery. And they have left Egypt at this point. Um, but they are now, all of a sudden, Pharaoh has kind of flipped. And he's decided to go after them. And he's pursuing them. And, and, and he sends an army after them. He realizes what he just let go. He realizes the wealth that he just let walk out. Um, and so he decides he wants them back. And, he dis and he's going to send everybody. He's going to send his entire army after them. Take a look at this as we're uh, starting in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 14. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near these two places. <laughs> you can try to pronounce those if you'd like. Um, so <laughs> I, I, tr I practiced this week and tried it just, you know, anyway. So the Israelites leave. Pharaoh realizes exactly what's going on here. And he's basically said, what have I done? What have I done? He, he realizes what he's done. And so why did he let them go? Well, I can give you at least 10 good reasons. There were the 10 plagues of Egypt. Um, but boy, how often and how quick are we to forget what God has done? You know, many times when we read through this story, we really look at Pharaoh as the bad guy, and he very much is in, in, in you know, many ways. And, and we look at Moses and think about the ways in which maybe we can relate to Moses, and they're there. But let's not push aside for a second the things and, and the ways in which we can relate to Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh was so quick to forget what God had done. And boy, we do the same thing. Think about this in regards to our spiritual life. 
that we sometimes think Satan is going to let us go so easily. And, and, you know, okay, so we've escaped this particular thing. And Satan has let us go, if you will. We've escaped that particular thing. And we, and we leave and, and we think, boy, once, once we've left that kingdom of, of sin or, or whatever that might be for you, that maybe he's just going to forget about us. But yet we forget. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5.8 here. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is looking for reasons to sink his claws into you and rip you apart. And when we are in a place of the unknown, when we are in this season of what do I do now, and we've got this deer in a headlights look, and we think that, that maybe um, we, we've, we've escaped or maybe we've gotten past this one thing, boy, you better keep your radar up. And you better keep your head on a swivel because the enemy is not going to quit. The enemy is not going to quit coming after you. Just like Pharaoh going after Israel. They thought that once they had left, oh, it's all good. But boy, it was just beginning, wasn't it? It was just beginning. Satan pursues us and he is doing everything he can to at least keep us on the fringes of his domain and hoping to destroy us if he can, just like what Pharaoh was doing to Israel. You might think that you've gotten away, but never forget he's going to keep pursuing you. He's going to keep pursuing you. So the Israelites see the Egyptians coming after them and they get scared as I would as well. An army like that, with all of that, they, they get scared. And so they're like, okay, army here, Red Sea there, now what? Now what? And so they cry out to God, which absolutely is the right thing to do. Of course, we cry out to God. But the way in which they cried out to God, they were condescending, they were untrusting of God, and they had no confidence in God or the leader that God had put in charge of them to bring them to this point. They had forgotten what God had done. They had forgotten about all of the things that God had done that had led them to this point. And so Moses has to use his influence as a leader. And here's what he says. In verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again. So let me tell you something cool about this statement from Moses. At this particular moment, Moses had no idea how God was going to help them. He had no idea what God was going to do. All he knew was that God was going to help them. He knew that God was certainly going to help them because of what had happened in the past and what he knew God was going to do. He knew God had called them and he knew God had, had paved the way for them to get to this place. So why would it all just end right here? Why, why would he lead them to this moment just for it all to just... I feel like as a church family, we can relate to that very much as well. Um, and so in a sense, Moses knew that this was a bad situation that God had to come through in. He had no idea how, but he was so confident in God that he was willing to say this to the Israelites as confident as could be, you will never see these people again because God is going to take care of us. And sometimes we get to this place 
where God is really our only hope. And I think we forget how often he really is our only hope. When we see that our only hope and our only help is God, we're more likely to trust him in that moment. But it's a shame that it takes us getting to that place to fully trust him in the way in which we end up doing when God is really our only hope. Because he's always our only hope. And sometimes it's the little things. Sometimes it's, it's the things that, that we think we can do on our own strength and we come up short, but those things get us down. It's not always the big things that, that we know that only God can do. A lot of times it's the little things that we're like, oh, maybe that, um, that's not really worth me taking to God because it's just this. Um, so God will come through in, in the big things and not the little things. And boy, that couldn't be further from the truth. And so what does Moses tell them to do? I think this, this next verse is, is probably my favorite verse of at least of the day for sure. And it's Exodus 14, 14, and it's this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If you write in your Bible or highlight in your Bible or you highlight verses in your Bible app, do one of those things or all of those things with this verse right now. Because this is an incredible incredible promise, an incredible um, perspective of how God wants to handle his children. Moses tells the people of Israel to be still. Be still. Be still. The Lord's direction to the believer in a time of crisis when we are in the season of the unknown is to be still. Hopelessness and despair when we get ourselves in that place that keeps us down and it keeps us from standing strong in the peace of God. When we let fear take over, fear tells us to retreat and to just run away. Or the other side of it, we get impatient and we get impatient and that, and that tells us we got to do something right now. I got to do something right now. Or we get impetuous and, and, and we jump into the Red Sea and, and, and presumption kind of takes us over. We jump into the Red Sea before it's even parted because we think we know what God's going to do. And so we just jump in and go, and go right ahead of him. And that's not his plan. Yet God tells us to be still. He, he tells us so often just simply stand still and hold your peace with him as he reveals his plan. And so whatever you're up against right now, Whatever you're up against, whether you're here or you're watching online, whatever you feel like you're up against right now, and it might be on both sides of you, and it might be from your perspective, feel like there is no way out, can I just encourage you to be still? Just be still. This is hard for me to do as well. This is real hard for me to do. I'm the one that's wanting to go, right? And that's, that's just how I'm wired. But there's times where we just, gotta, we just gotta be still and we gotta take a step back and remember that God is God and to be still. The Lord always reveals his plan when I stop trying to fix everything with my own plan because that never works. Over and over and over again. I could give you example over example in my life where I've tried to just jump the gun before God 
just lays it out there. Look at Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And there are some things that we can learn about from here too in terms of the glory of God. So stop arguing with God or opposing what he is doing or what he is trying to do and recognize God's glory and greatness and power and recognize his supreme power and authority over all and listen. Just be still and listen. Moses was still and quiet and prayerful. And he listens to the Lord's instruction. And the Lord says, lift your hands. Lift your hand and your staff over the water. And God says this in in verse 17, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his armies. And so he listens and look at the next verse here. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That's such a cool mental picture, though I know we've seen it in movies and such. But it's such a cool mental picture of of what that must have looked like and the miracle that this was. Now, I want to sidebar here for a quick second because this is an amazing miracle of God and something just huge and miraculous and the glory of God within all of this. But let me sidebar here for a second because we see miracles and such in the Bible, and especially in, in this day and age, and I know it's been a thing for a long time, but, but in this information age in which we live in, we see different ways of interpreting uh, scientifically about how this happened or, or could have happened or whatever. Let me read this article to you from the LA Times um, that was from uh, Research Supports the Bible's Account of Red Sea Parting. That's the title of, of the article. I just want to read this little portion of it. It says this, Sophisticated computer calculations indicate that the biblical parting of the Red Sea, said to have allowed Moses and the Israelites to escape from bondage in Egypt, could have occurred precisely as the Bible describes it. Because of the particular geography of the northern end of the Red Sea, researchers report Sunday in the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society, a moderate wind blowing constantly for about 10 hours could have caused the sea to recede about a mile and the water level to drop 10 feet, leaving dry land in the area where many biblical scholars believe the crossing occurred. Okay. Cool. That's not what I read. That sounds great, but that's not what I read. This is a wall of water on the left and right. This isn't just a, you know, coincidental wind that moves the water aside for a little while. Not to mention, like, if if the water was actually, like, coming through, uh, was, like, doing this and a hard wind was blowing, don't you think it would, like, knock people over or whatever? Like, I appreciate what they're trying to say here, but, but listen... We've all seen the shows on Discovery Plus and History Channel or Nat Geo or whatever that have tried to kind of uh, scientifically explain away the power of God. Um, Can I just say this? Science is the power of God, okay? 
There are so many things where science and faith actually complement each other in such a cool, cool way. They're, they're not enemies, as we're made to believe and as our kids in school are made to believe that science and faith are enemies. They are not. They are actually complementary. And we're going to get into this deeper at some point in the future. I don't know when, but, but I will say that we're going to get into this deeper at some point in the future because there are tons of amazing things um, where science points to an intelligent designer and a creator um, that, as Lord Calvin actually said, if you study science long enough and hard enough, it will force you to believe in God. And I 100% agree with that. However, here's my point to this little sidebar, because it's not really a sidebar. Let's not minimize the glory of God. Let's not minimize the glory of God. A pillar of cloud at the back, keeping the Egyptians away so that they couldn't attack. They walked on dry land. Listen, the bottom of a riverbed, I think it would take more than 10 hours of a wind to make it dry land. That's just common sense to me. The wind would have to die down for everybody to walk through, like I was saying. Wall of water on each side that's pushing the wind aside. Do not minimize the glory of God. Because it was God who parted the sea and put the cloud there. And he's done it in your life and he's done it in my life as well. And when God does amazing things in your life and he shows up in amazing ways, give him the glory that he deserves. Give him the glory that he deserves because there are blessings in our life that we minimize and we see provisions in our life and we minimize it and we don't give God the glory that he deserves for so many things in our lives. And the influence that we can have, back to that, the influence that we can have in the lives of others by declaring the glory of God in our life can make such a difference in the perspective of other people's lives. Because we are bragging on God and he deserves it. And when he holds back the enemies behind us and parts the sea in front of us and we just give it to the side and we push it to the side and we just say whatever to those amazing things that God does in our life, we are minimizing the glory of God in our life. And instead, realize that we are sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus and we leave those things sitting at the feet of Jesus and let him take care of it, and we are still, and we sit there and we are still, and we see his solutions, and we see his glory coming through all of it, the peace that we will have when we were standing in the the place of the unknown that can only be him. It can only be him. And we need to tell people. And we need to tell people when these things happen. Because he is worthy, and he is worthy of it. So, the Israelites, they cross the, they cross the sea, right? They see the glory of God. They walk through the glory of God, as you and I have so many times in our life. Walk right through the glory of God, and they cross. The pillar of cloud moves, and the Egyptians decide, we're going to go after them, which is not a smart move. Because then they realize what is about to happen. Take a look at this. In verse 25, it's he, meaning God, jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea And at daybreak, 
the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived, just like Moses said. He had confidence in God, and his focus was on the glory of God. And who came through just like he does every single time? God, at the right time in the right way. Why? Why? Did you ever think about why this story actually needed to happen? Why did this story happen? Why did it happen this way? So that God could be glorified in the powers of this world. It happened so that God would receive the glory. And there's another reason too. But God makes this point very clear that it's happening so that he may gain the glory because Israel is running away from an army. In worldly terms, they are in retreat. Israel is in retreat. They're running away and they run up against this body of water and can go nowhere. And God steps in and defeats the enemy and he gets the glory just like Moses said would happen. And then, and then it ends, the chapter ends like this in verse 31. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is why. They were not trusting in God or giving him the glory. They were not trusting in God or giving him the glory. A true leader, a leader of people of God is always overwhelmingly concerned with the glory of God. And in this instance, Moses shows us his heart for the glory of God, wanting God to get all the glory as he should every single time. And sometimes God has to bring us to a Red Sea moment in our life for us to realize where our focus has been and to see that to God, nothing is unknown. Nothing is unknown to God. So, the lesson for us all here is twofold. And it's the connection point for the day. And it's to be still and give him glory. To be still and give him glory. If there's one big takeaway from, from this miracle, the crossing of the Red Sea, it's to be still and give him glory. Because when you are in the unknown, when you are in a place of the unknown, when you are in a season of the unknown, when you are at that Red Sea moment that if you haven't been at, you will be at some point. And some of you may be right now. Be still and listen and give him the glory. Give the glory to God. And don't minimize it when he shows up. Look for it and acknowledge it and praise him for it. There are so many things that we could give him glory for that have just happened in the last 24 hours in your life and in mine. And we minimize it and we push it aside. I never want to get used to the glory of God, but we do. You might feel like you're in a place where you're saying, what have I done? What have I done? 
My only help is in him because I'm out of ideas. I'm out of ideas and I am surrounded on all sides. And if you're in that place, I'm sorry and my heart goes out to you, but can I just say, be still? Be still and give him glory. And you know what? There is a world that needs to hear that. There is a world that needs to hear that. And that can only make sense when you're connected to Jesus. Because if you're not connected to Jesus, that idea of be still and give him glory doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It, it almost makes it seem like we should just sit around and do nothing. And that's not what I'm saying either. And that's not what God's saying. But when we're connected to Jesus, we understand that when we are still and we are giving him the glory that he's going to reveal his plan at the right time in the right way. And we're more keen to listen to him and hear him. And we have a chance to help lead people to Jesus who are in a place of crisis that have nowhere else to look. And we can say, look to the cross of Christ and to be still and know that he is going to take care of it. Will you bow your heads with me? I know that some of us here, some of us watching, feel like we're surrounded on both sides. Got an enemy behind us and an impenetrable wall or sea in front of us. And maybe we don't know what we're going to do. We feel like we've been reaching out to God, but maybe we've been being too antsy. We've been acting hopeless. We've been acting fearful. We've been acting uh, impetuous. All, all those things that we do instead of just being still and listening to God. Can I encourage you right now, quiet your heart, quiet your mind, be still, listen. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not connected to him, that's not going to make a whole lot of sense. If you're not 100% sure that you're going to spend eternity with him, then I've got the best news for you ever. Because you can know that for sure, for 100% sure, because God created you to be with him. Our sin is what separates us from him, and, and there's nothing we can do to remove that sin. And it's Jesus who paid the price for you and for me so that we could have eternal life with him, and that eternal life starts now. And eternity means forever. It lasts forever. And if you want to know more about that, I would love to pray with you, talk with you. If you're watching online, you can certainly comment in the chat, and, and someone would love to, to walk you through that. We have a place online as well, connectchurch.xyz slash next. Please don't let another moment, another day go by without knowing that you are connected to, this, to the God of the universe, to the Savior of the world that loves you so much that he will put a pillar of cloud behind you and he will part the sea in front of you at just the right time. Just be still and give him glory. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for the truth of your word and I thank you that your plans are greater than ours and that your ways are higher than ours because when we try to do it without you, Lord, we screw it up every time. Lord, I pray that if there is one here that doesn't know you as Savior, one watching, that maybe has not made the decision to trust you for the first time, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. That your Holy Spirit would speak to them in such a mighty and powerful way. Lord, for the rest of us, I know that there are some here and some watching that just need to be still and listen. 
I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that they would give you glory that you deserve. Father, I know that you will part the sea at the right time. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name.